Welcome to the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. This is the place where you'll learn cutting-edge personal brand strategies from today's most recognizable influencers. We're going to teach you how to build a rock-solid reputation and then how to turn that reputation into revenue. I'm your lead host, Rory Vaden, co-founder of Brand Builders Group, Hall of Fame speaker, and New York Times bestselling author of Take the Stairs. Hi, it's AJ Vaden, and thanks for listening to the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. Did you know that the ideas we share on the show are things we actually specialize in helping you implement? If you want to raise your public profile and turn your reputation into revenue, please visit freecall.brandbuildersgroup.com to sign up for a free brand strategy call with one of our personal brand strategists. Again, that's freecall.brandbuildersgroup.com to sign up for your free call. Talk to you soon. You know, there was a time when I had a dream, the first time I had a dream to be a professional speaker and I didn't know exactly what that entailed. And, and one of the first people I encountered on that journey is the man you're about to hear from, Ed Tate who now at this point, we have known each other for coming up on 15 years. Yeah. And he is wild to think about that because this, this man literally knew me like at the very, very beginning. Um, he and I were actually in the same Toastmaster club and he had just won the world championship of public speaking which was the biggest thing that you know I could ever imagine at that time and was one of several people who mentored me. He is also a certified speaking professional. He has really been a corporate trainer and keynote speaker for you know the last 20 plus years. And he's fantastic on stage. He's also an executive coach and does a lot of like kind of presentation coaching for media and you know people who present like uh, winning high stakes presentations so anybody who has like an important presentation whether that's a keynote or just like presenting and uh, he has a fascinating journey that I think is different from a path that you you may you may hear about often so uh, so glad to have you old friend welcome back and uh, thank you for being here well thank you for inviting me Roy I really appreciate it so brand builders group we study reputation you know that's our new space we've like did our little pivot from you know everything was all about discipline and now we're all about reputation which are kind of connected but you know when you just hear that word you know like you're someone i think of of just it's a great reputation everyone knows you're a great guy you're gonna kill it on stage every single time but when you hear the word reputation what do you think about like what is your definition of it what are your personal philosophies on building one and you know how important has it been in your career and and just give us like a little bit on that reputation i think it's that mental space that you possess in someone else's head that's mm -hmm. what a reputation is you know when we think of the tried and true examples mcdonald's you know uh, or fedex etc fedex just rang my my doorbell just a couple seconds ago they have specific reputations and, you know, I think the worst reputation you can have is like no reputation. And that is be, mm. be, a, uh, be the best secret that no one's ever heard of. You know, so I think that's one of the challenges. Here's something else to consider as well. You know, like you mentioned, I've been in this business. It'll be, it's actually 19 years this year doing this professionally. Mm -hmm. 
I, Condoleezza Rice said, you never want to be the past anything, you know, and, and I think that you constantly want to evolve. You, you constantly want to develop your brand. You constantly want your, your brand to stay with the times and be relevant, if you will. So in my particular case, I got my start, my jump by winning the world championship of public speaking. And we can talk about that like a little bit later on. Okay. That helped my career. And then I became a CSP, a certified speaking professional. That helped my career. I was in this space uh, called making managers into leaders. So for example, my customers are my clients. They know me in, it, with that brand in that particular space. Does that make sense what I'm saying so far? Yeah. Uh -huh. And I've, I've constantly tried, like your company is evolving into a new space. Okay. You're into brand building, right? Right. Okay. If you were disciplined before that was the, the, the brand before you're evolving because the marketplace says this is something that you need to do. And I think this is something critical for all of us. And Number because one, we have we a need to compete. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. But number one, like when you're starting out, you know, what is your brand? You have to establish your brand. And then right. number two is you got to get the word out in terms of what is your brand. Because uh, if you don't, I think the worst thing you can have is saying this. Saying this is the enemy of any presenter or any company. When you look and sound the same like everyone else, and that's a Patricia Frippism, if you will, no one's going to recognize you. Well, and I think that's really interesting because I think a lot of people who are just starting on their personal brand journey, like they either are doing the work of figuring out who they are and what their brand is about, or there's some people who immediately jump into like telling a bunch of people, but they're not totally clear on it. And, and it's like, you have to do both. Um, you know, we say the reputation formula is results times reach equals reputation. So mm -hmm. I think that's, I think that's interesting. So I, I wanted to ask you about how you got your start as a personal, uh, it, you know, is building your brand. And one of the things that I think is, is very unique about your, your past. I mean, we have the world championship, which I want to hear about. I want people to know what that is, but mm -hmm. you also worked for a company doing yep. other people's content first. And that's a model that I think is really good for a lot of people that not enough people talk about. Everyone thinks I got to create my own content. I got to like build everything, do it all from scratch. And you know, if I remember correctly, you sort of started and spent a fair bit of time like teaching other people's content at first. Yeah. Well, I, I worked for a company called career track career track at the time was the largest public seminar company in the world. And I worked for them for exactly 18 months. It was, by, by, it was part of my strategy to get experience. And I wanted to, like, uh, there's a friend of ours, his name is Darren LaCroix, and he says, stage time, stage time, stage time. I wanted to get a lot of stage time. So that was my purpose. That was my strategy to get a lot of stage time. And I did that for exactly 18 months. And then I worked for another company called Enlightened Leadership, and we, we did leadership programs, and I did that for, like, another two years. But it was a strategy that, A, got me a great deal of uh, stage time. Number two, it also got me a lot of credible customers and, uh, that I can actually put on my resume, if you will. So, you know, for example, GlaxoSmithKline, Johnson & Johnson, mm -hmm. a Nielsen, uh, Nielsen Ratings Company, you name it. Like, if you go to my website, it's a who's who of, of corporate America. Well, because I, I work for this other company, I was able to legitimately claim that I actually work with those particular organizations. It gave me, and the other, the third thing it did for me, it gave me, it made me bulletproof on stage. I honestly believe this to be true, and I, and I know you have the same skill. There's nothing on stage that can happen that I can't handle. Mm. And I got that experience by working for CareerTrack. For example, one, I'll remember one particular client in particular, uh, the Postal Service in Dallas, Texas. 
Okay. And uh, it is my first day leaving corporate America. Okay. It is my, this is my first gig after I've left corporate America. I've left this really nice paycheck. Okay. And it's seven o'clock in the morning, I'm passing out workbooks. I, I, I pass out a workbook to this good old boy, six foot five, a biscuit shy of 300 pounds. And he just stands up and he yells, I don't want to blank be here. Now, blank is not the word he used. Right? <laughs> anyway, immediately, security comes in. They've got guns pulled. And I'm thinking to myself, what? maybe I can call my boss and still get my job back. Because I'm thinking, what in the hell have I gotten myself into? So apparently something had happened over uh, the previous week. And they, they were on like this heightened alert, if you will. And the fact that this guy uh -huh. was yelling, they were just you know, security was hypersensitive. Sure. So anyway, they called the boss and the boss is this woman. She is, she's not even five feet tall with high heels on. All right. She says, what's going on here? They explain what was happening. So the good old boy, the bo this woman and I, we walk out in the hallway. Now you got to see this. I'm watching this. This guy is huge. She's this little tiny woman. And this is back <laughs> in the day when they had the Motorola flip phone. Remember those? Like, you know, like sure, a Star yeah. Trek. So she said, huh? She says, you got two choices. Choice number one, you can go back there and shut up and listen to this guy for the rest of the day. <laughs> well, option number two is I'm going to call your boss and tell him what's going on. So she whips out her, her flip phone. She starts dialing a number. She says, I got one more digit. What's it going to be? Mm, wow. Guess what he did? He went back in there and he, he shut up for the rest of the day. Now, I did my program and the guy walked up to me and he apologized. He said, you know what? I apologize to you. I really needed to hear this. But the lesson that I learned was this, it's always your stage. That woman taught me no matter where you are, mm. it's always your stage. You know, so I, again, going back to the point, there's nothing on stage I can't handle. I love the Dallas Postal Service because they, you know, I learned many, many lessons about being on stage. And again, nothing that, that I can handle on stage. Yeah, well, and, and I think that's interesting. It's just a great model. I mean, that's, that's the whole point is that I want people to have their eyes open to her you can start by working for someone else. Uh, you know, that's a, that's a good way to like kind of build up and it's real common. I, if I remember right, I think Tony Robbins did that. I think Mark Sanborn did that. He's another Mark Hall of Fame speaker. Mark Sanborn, he, was, he worked for Career Track. Laura Stack worked for Career Track. Uh, we, as a matter of fact, Career Track was called the Career Track Mafia because it was actually based out of Colorado. Okay. And uh, Christy Ward, there's a, lo a lot of people who are actually in the Speaking Hall of Fame today got their start working for someplace else. Now, the flip side of this is this. Do it only for a limited amount of time. And what I mean by that, it is so easy to do it for, you know, for years and years and years. When I started doing this, I knew specifically 18 months. I literally quit 18 months to the day, regardless of how popular I was with the company, because I, I saw other people be there for 8, 9, 10, 11, 15 years. And uh -huh. I didn't want that to happen to me because I, I realized if I did that, I would never be able to start my own business. Which is so what you wanted to do. So some exactly. people may be okay with that, but like if you have the vision, then it's like you're using it as a stepping stone deliberately. Exactly. So tell me about how did you make the, how did you make the leap? Like how did you actually start? I, I also happen to know that you were being very highly paid in a corporate environment. That's not an easy thing to walk away from. The, and then when does Toastmaster show up on the scene and like, what, what does it mean to be the world? I mean, you are literally the world champion of public speaking. And there's probably a lot of people that have not actually heard that term before. So walk us through like that transition of what it felt like to leap and how you did it. And you know, how did Toastmasters fit into that? 
Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you a story that you haven't heard before. Okay, how I got how I got started this this in the first place. Uh, number one is I'm a stutterer. Okay, and there is no cure for stuttering. And when you grow up in a neighborhood where you stutter, guess what? Kids are they're horrible. They're absolutely horrible. So my dad was in the military, and we would move to a new neighborhood almost every eighteen months to two years. So we were moving to Chicago, and I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. So one thing I did in preparation to move to this new neighborhood, because I don't want the new kids to know that Ed's, Ed's a stutterer because they're going to make fun of me in school. So I read newspapers out loud. I used to practice in the mirror. During the summer, kids used to like to play basketball, and I was really good at doing play-by-play -play outside doing basketball. I was so good that the other kids would give me their names, and I would just do that. But it was a way for me to actually practice speaking. So how I got started in this is I didn't want to be made fun of by kids. That was my motivation. I happened to go to a high school that had a, a TV station. I was a news anchor for four years. I went to a college that uh, I actually got a job as a disc jockey. I was the number one disc jockey my entire four, not a college station, an actual radio station. And I did that. So these things prepared me for, not looking back on it in hindsight, those things prepared me. So when I actually competed for the world championship in the year 2000, those things prepared me. At the time, I was an executive. I was actually working for the Denver Rocky Mountain News. I was their, their, their training director. And they were very, very supportive of me at that particular time. Now, for those of you who don't know what the world championship is, it's a year-long competition, 25,000 to 35,000 contestants. And in the year 2000, I won the entire thing. Rory knows about this because he's been on that big stage a couple times. Twice. And, it is, <laughs> and I and lost I you, twice. This but I got guy. close once. <laughs> I, hey, to make it on that stage is remarkable. You know, it's absolutely remarkable. And most of you, if you follow Rory, you know how good he is on stage. You know, so. Well, I like to say too, Ed, anybody can win at once. It takes a real man to lose twice. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> okay. Okay. You, you, you keep going with that story. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so then your next question, how to make that transition. I literally, I told my wife, I said, I really want to try this. I said, I think this is something I really, really enjoy. I'm really good. The fact that I won the world championship, I got a lot, a lot of media attention right away. Daryl started approaching me, et cetera, for the first time. So I was at the right place at the right time, et cetera. So I got a lot of attention. I also knew that this was temporary and it wouldn't last. Mm -hmm. So I, I relied on my business acumen skills. I said to myself, this is something that I actually have to promote. I have to market. I just can't wait. I can't just sit back and wait for the phone to ring. So it was a combination of taking advantage of the opportunity, which, which happened to me, and also marketing myself. You and I, you know, this is a, a term of endearment. We're sales dogs. And what I mean by that is we both know how to sell. We both know how to market. You know, we know how to close deals. We know how to close business, et cetera. So I made a decision. The decision was like, if I could not make the same type of income I was making in corporate America, this was going to be a hobby. I was very, very clear about that. Being on stage is addictive. People love it. They love the attention, the adulation. But for me, it's, I have a family. I got to take care of my family. And if, this, if I can't make the same type of income that I made before, then I was going to go back to corporate America. I went to my wife and I told her, I said, I, it's going to take me a year to get this off the ground. I just give me a year. And if, if I can't get it off the ground, I will go back to corporate America. So after a year, we still weren't making the income that, we, that I was accustomed to. Now, at the yeah, same time. A, a year is fast, though. Like, that's, that's I mean, that's fast. I, 
the way I looked at it, I didn't have a choice. It was just like it was going to be a year or, or not. Now, I also told my wife, I said, like, your, your lifestyle will not change. Fortunately for me, I had a lot of money in the bank. I didn't have to work for four years if I didn't want to. And wow. I said, your lifestyle will not change. So if I can't make this happen in a year, I will interview. And I had a reputation in the computer industry. I'll become an executive again. And that's what happened because the income wasn't there. I interviewed. I did kind of cheat a little bit. And what I mean by that is that I told the company that, hey, I'm not going to start for six months. So I actually bought myself an 18-month window. And that was the point where I started to see that the income was going to match my previous income. And then from that point in time, I never looked back. So what were you doing? Like, like I, I think this is the thing. Like, it's interesting to hear you say this is one of the reasons that I, I wanted to have you. Beyond the fact, interesting side note, I don't know if you've ever noticed this. I tell a lot of our members and stuff that I, I studied 20 years of world championship uh, footage. I graphed all the presentations. I, I measured the average number of laughs, the amount of time to the message, how many times they hit the message. And a lot of people think of Darren. Darren was like my humor mentor, right? Mm -hmm. And people think of him as the funniest. But your speech has the most number of laughs. I know. <laughs> um, and a lot of people don't give you credit for that. But so there's, actual book that, there's a book where they actually documented the number of laughs, the lengths of the laughs, etc. So I, I'm number one. I always hold that over him every time I see him. <laughs> there it is. So, but, but so you won the world championship. And I think what I want people to see is, you know, you might think, oh, something happens like that. And that's how you become a speaker. And all of a sudden you're a speaker the rest of your life. So it's kind of like I want, want people to be in touch with both the reality of even doing something like that. You still have to promote yourself and also be in touch with the reality that even if you don't do it, you know, and like I, I guess I would be an example, although I got, I got pretty close, that you can, still build this, you can still build the career without it. What matters is not so much the trophy, it's, it's, it's the process and the hustle after that. So what were you doing to exactly. get So I'm going to jump ahead seven years because okay. the experience I have is not a normal experience. And that is, again, I got media coverage, media attention, Right away, I got, I got an agent, I got speakers bureaus, I got training companies. That's not uh, normal. Not anymore, okay. particularly. So at that time, it really did kind of like... It, it happened instantly. It happened. And I also was smart enough to realize I, I constantly had to market myself as well. So, I can't, so that happened. That for, there was a seven-year window. Rory, I literally didn't have to pick up a phone. And then we had the, the worldwide economic crisis of 2007. So mm. I want to pick up my story from there. I lost it all. I lost the agents. I lost the training companies. I lost the consulting firms. They all went away. I had a half a million dollar business and it went to zero in two weeks. Okay. Wow. A person I called up at the time was uh, Mark Sanborn. Mark Sanborn is, he's speaking Hall of Fame. I'm pretty sure your, your followers know who he is. You just Google him. And I explained to him what happened. And, and he said, Ed, what you need to do is let go and let God. And he says, you need to get your hustle on, you know? You need to let this go because I, I was so distraught, you know, and I was like, oh, poor, poor, pitiful me, poor, poor, pitiful for me. And then I called up another friend of mine and uh, her name is Lisa Jill Landsberg. And again, I was about to cry this, this about to have this pity party, right? And she said to me, she says, Ed, I, I can't talk to you now. I says, what, what do you mean, Lisa Jill? You're one of my best friends. You know, why can't you talk to me now? She says, I just found out my next door neighbor their little, their four-year-old and their five-year-old daughters have been assaulted. Can't talk to you now. Whoa. 
in that moment, it was like, you know, there are significantly more important things in the world than you losing your business. These little girls have lost their childhood, you know, and they're never going to get that back. And my pity party was literally over that day. It was over. And I said, and just like Mark Sanborn had advised me, get your hustle on. So every day I have this philosophy, never put up a zero. And what I mean by that, mm. every day reach outside of these four walls and tell somebody about and ask for business. Now, am I successful every day? No, but you know what? I like my chances, you know, and actually that was that philosophy helped me make it through starting from scratch. 20, think about 2007, 2008, worldwide economic, it's the, the great depression of our lifetime. It's never the economy, it's always your economy. And there's business in every single economy as long as you're willing to reach outside of your four walls every day. That's what I learned. So guess what, I still do that to this day. I just closed the deal yesterday, you know, coaching client yesterday. Guess what, I reach out every single day, never put up a zero. Now, are there times when I put up zeros? Yes, absolutely. Here's the key. If you, don't, if you, if you, if you do put up a zero, don't beat yourself up. Sometimes, you know, your schedule doesn't work out, so you can't reach outside your four walls. Start a new winning streak. So that, that was my mindset. That was my philosophy. But that's like, that's like maybe you're putting up a zero in terms of a client, but it's never, it's never a zero in terms of effort. Like you're, exactly. you're, always making that, you're always making that call. You're always sending that email. You're always making that outreach. You're doing something. There's, you could do one thing every single day. If you do one thing every day, there's, what is it, like 260 business days? That's 260 outreaches. If you just do one activity a day, guess what? You're going you're gonna to get some business if you reach out once a day for 260 business days. You're going to get business. You're going to stumble across some business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, so talking about keynotes, so it sounds like, you know, for a while, that's interesting. I didn't actually realize you, you did sort of have the fantasy it sounded like for a little while. For a little while. I guess back in those days, it was, you know, there's an element of the world championship that is a little bit like American Idol. You know, it's a big, for, for people in that space that know it, it's, it's a big freaking deal. Um, you know, and we traveled the world for five or six years after, speaking to groups. That was how we saw the world. Um, mm -hmm. and that was a big part of how I started my career, even though I didn't, uh, I didn't win. I came in second for, for the record. But, you know what? but Rory, here's the point. It wasn't necessary that you won. You yeah. still, they, people still treat you like a world champion. They saw you on the big stage and you were smart enough to leverage it. And that's the lesson here. You know, actually, you know, what has actually meant more to my career than winning the world championship is being a CSP. Hmm. And here's a cool part about being a CSP. A CSP is everyone who's listening to this, you know, uh, to this broadcast, they can become a CSP. There's only one person who wins the world championship every way. It's not the trophy. It's the medal. You know, I got, a, I have a medal right there, you know, that says I'm a CSP, you know, I only wore that one day, you know, but <laughs> it's the CSP actually has meant more to me and more to my career than, than the trophy and then winning it. So it, you were able to leverage it. Your proof, what I'm saying, is that that puts you on a platform and you were that able to leverage that platform. can succeed. <laughs> that is the point that Ed's trying to make. <laughs> uh, no, I, I totally get that. And that is, you know, I never really thought about that. Yeah, only one person gets to be a world championship. But the CSP that Ed's talking about is called Certified Speaking Professional. It's the highest ranking 
earned designation that is available through the National Speakers Association, which is sort of the governing body of the speaking profession specifically. Uh, Ed and I are both CSPs and you you, you know, they track, they have to, you have to, they audit like all your clients and all this stuff. So, so on the topic of speaking, just since that's sort of like the world that we play in and, and we live in, where do speaking gigs actually come from? Even today, is it, is it, is it the outreaches? But like, if you go, okay, I got so many speaking gigs on my calendar, like where do they in, in real life, where do they come from? How do you, how do you get them? Is it cold outreach or what? So uh, it's, a, it's a combination of things. And I'm sure you teach this to your followers. You know, it is a combination of, uh, you know, writing leads to wealth. Okay. So it starts, it starts with writing, you know, so like uh, if you have, you know, if you have a podcast, if you have a newsletter, et cetera, whatever your intellectual property is, make sure that you get it out to the world. So writing leads to wealth. So like that's, that's one form of outreach. Uh, another form of, I'm a salesperson, so I've sold a half a billion dollars worth of computers in my career. I have no compunction whatsoever calling cold calling companies. Now that's old school and I know how to do it and we do that on a regular basis. We also have marketing campaigns and what I mean by that is, so for example, I have an assistant. So my assistant, she has access to three or four different databases. We, we on Mondays, we go through these complete databases. We we identify organizations that have put on conferences, et cetera, where I would be a good fit. Okay. And then what we do is we identify those particular individuals and then we start an email campaign to them. And we send out three emails that go over six weeks where people respond to them. We send them information about us and we get into conversations. And then for the people who don't respond to us, we put them in, into the pot for next year. So that's part of our process. So we have a system that we use every single day that make, we make sure that something from our organization is going out. And right now we've got, a, we've got a, like pretty much on an automatic process. So you have to have some type of system where there's, you know, and using technology, using people, however, whatever type of system that you have that constantly sends out who you are, what your brand is, publishing your brand. Cause I think it's a killer for you not to do outreach in some form or another. You don't have to do cold calling. That's my superpower. I'm a former C-level executive. I can, I, can call, I can get on the phone today and call a C-level executive cold because I've been in her position, I've been in his position. Does that make sense? Yeah. And the, the, this, the thing I'm inviting people to do, what's your strength? So, for example, with me, I suck at social media except LinkedIn. I'm damn good at LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. LinkedIn has made me thousands of thousands of dollars. I haven't made a, I haven't made a quarter from Facebook, okay? So Facebook doesn't work for me, but you know, use the tool or use the channel that works for you. That, that would be my advice. Now, am I going to ignore Facebook? Of course not. I got to figure it out. You know, uh, I want to leverage YouTube more. I want to, I want to do live streaming more. So these are things that I need to get better at. These are ro these are roadblocks for me today. But you know, if you interview me a year from now, Rory, I'm a, I'm, I'm a figure it out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's a, that's an interesting distinction too. I think there's a lot more people who are in the brand builders group community that are good at social media and, and are wanting to be a speaker than there are speakers that don't use social media. And I think it's interesting. The speaking world is one that social media certainly helps just because it's an avenue to pump your intellectual property out there. But so, a lot, like I would, I would venture to say a lot of the busiest speakers I know 
the highest paid speakers do not have a huge social media presence. That's true. Uh, and if, it, I mean, there are some, when you get into the celebrity level of speaking, basically, so there's certain social media people who become celebrities. This is the Jay Shetty's of the world right now, Mel Robbins, Rachel mm -hmm. Hollis. Of course, Rachel wrote a book that sold millions of copies, so did Mel Robbins. Um, Jay Shetty would be a good example. Gary Vaynerchuk would be a good example mm -hmm. like that. But that's the rare, rare exception. Most of the people who are making a living as a speaker, it's not really coming from social media per se. It's, it's more from being out speaking, just introducing, showing videos of them talking and like getting them in front of the people who book, who book meetings. Well, one thing I did is I invested, I, I, I have this phrase, invest for your interest. So I, like, in the middle of the economic crisis of 2007, 2008, I did something counterintuitive. I actually spent more money on coaches and investing in programs than I did the previous decade. Counterintuitive. The reason I did that is because the world as I knew it in terms of marketing and promoting myself no longer existed. It didn't work and I needed fresh ideas. I also needed someone to hold me accountable. So one of the programs I enrolled in and it wasn't to coach anybody, it was for me to learn about marketing as I became a certified guerrilla marketing coach. And here's one of the things I learned from that is I, have, I did not have enough channels in terms of people finding out about me. I had a website, I had a business card, I had a, uh, a one sheet package, and that was it. I only had three ways that people could ever find out about mm -hmm. me. Guerrilla Marketing says that you must have a minimum of 10, and I'm going to say today, you got to have a minimum of 20. Social media is only one. It's not like, oh, I've got, I'm on Facebook, I'm on this, that. No, 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 no. That's just one type of channel. That's only, that's only, that only counts as one. What are different ways that people can find out about you in terms of your business? So I think one of the things that, you know, again, I'm going to call them ordinary, everyday people, you know, non-household names. What you need to do is you need to have multiple channels in terms of how people find out about you. And your, and your company is perfectly positioned to do that for them. Yeah, I mean, we, and we teach, uh, those of you that are watching that are familiar, and we teach the, con the content diamond is a big thing that we talk about, you know, creating one piece of content, just tearing it apart and repurposing it in all these different outlets and, and so forth and so on. But um, I agree with that. I, I remember um, I heard someone say one time, they said, you need to pump your content out into the world as fast as possible in as many mediums as possible, every which way you can, you can get it. And it's just, it's just a matter of people knowing about you. Um, and, and that became one of our taglines at Brand Builders Group was like, if people don't know about you, they can't do business with you. Okay, Ed, so, you know, is there, any, is there any little last advice that you would have for anybody, anybody that's just kind of tuning in? Well, I got, I got three things. Uh, number one, you know, invest for your interests. Find that, coach, find that person who's getting the results that you want and make sure they're actually getting those results that you want and hire that individual. It will expedite your progress. One of the biggest mistakes I made early on in my career is I, I came from the computer industry. We have this mindset of doing it yourself. And there's two ways to do anything. Number one, you could do it yourself. Or number two, you can hire someone who already has got the results. And I don't know about you, Rory, but, you know, have you ever done a do-it-yourself project that looking back on it, you should have never done? Has it ever happened to you? <laughs> yeah, every whole household project ever that AJ has asked me to do. Okay, so, like, I think everyone has one of those examples. Every time I have hired a coach, 
I've got a quantum leap in terms of performance. Mm. For example, you said you like my website. Guess what? I hired a woman by the name of Jane Atkinson, and she helped me over the past year. You know, she helped me do my, my new website, et cetera. It was a quantum leap, and it was a, a complete makeover. So number one, invest for your interests. Hire a coach. They're going to help you get there better. The other thing that coaches will do is you can't Google game conditions. And what I mean by that is there's going to come some circumstances in which it's pressure feel, it's, it's, pressure, it's pressure packed. And you're going to need someone on the sidelines to, to, to walk you through it and talk you through it. So another reason that you should hire a coach is help you deal with game conditions and help you deal with the pressure. Because I've seen so many people fold uh, you know, with regard to pressure. And the other thing is, you know, start today. Inertia, procrastination, and perfection, they cost you money. Activity improves morale, motivation, and it makes you money. So start. Don't put it off till tomorrow. Start today. Because every day that you procrastinate is money that you're losing. I love it. I love it. Where should people go connect with you if they kind of want to follow you and, and, and see what you do and, and uh, you know, just stay plugged into what you have going on? Uh, you can, you know, the easiest is just like edtate.com, E-D-T-A-T-E.com. And you can find my, you know, Facebook and all my social media. You can find it from there. So it, I, I'm not promoting anything. So if you want you want to hang out with me, fine. You want to connect me with me, just go there. Yeah. Well, and I mean, when it comes to presentation coaching, I mean, I still to this day, like, you know, the world champions, when it comes to the mechanics of speaking from the platform, the world champions are, they're the best. It's not the hall of fame speakers necessarily. It's not the highest paid speakers. It's certainly not the celebrities. It's not the New York times. Best-selling <laughs> authors. Uh, it's not the politicians. Ooh. It's the people who win the world championship or compete at that level have studied this craft um, into a science and and they're amazing at teaching it. that's you know and for me that's you you know darren lacroix uh craig valentine i think uh, mark brown would be in that david brooks those were some of the legends you know specifically on the art of speaking and um so i just really appreciate you brother and i appreciate the reputation you've built and you know thank you for supporting us along the way and and we just we wish you all the best Thank you. Uh, and, and you too, my friend. That's all we've got for this episode of the Influential Personal Brand Podcast. But here's some great news. One of the most valuable things you can do to help us and other new potential listeners to find our show is for you to both rate this show and leave a review. So as a special bonus for you, if you leave us a comment in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen, take a screenshot of your review and email it to podcast at brandbuildersgroup.com. We will give you free lifetime access to 25 of our most popular interviews on video in your own private members-only area. So go right now, rate us, review us, and then send a screenshot of it into podcast at brandbuildersgroup.com. And we will get you set up with free lifetime access to our most popular video interviews all in one place. Also, please just share, share, share this podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it. And until next time, remember that building a business isn't nearly as valuable as building a reputation. <laughs>